In 2002, in 2002, <laughs> the general manager of the Oakland Athletics, uh, his name is Billy Bean, he changed the landscape of Major League Baseball. The previous season, the Oakland A's lost to the juggernaut Yankees in the playoffs. Teams like the Oakland Athletics, with their limited budget, don't have as great of a chance to make the playoffs and to have a successful enough season to make the playoffs every year like teams with unlimited budgets do, teams like the Yankees. So when teams like the A's get to the playoffs and make it there, it's really special. But when they make it there and lose, it's especially heartbreaking. Clevelanders know that well. But this season for the Oakland A's and their general manager, Billy Bean, his heartbreak didn't stop when, when, his, team, when his team's limited budget uh, lost in the playoffs. It didn't stop here because often when teams with limited budgets finally make the playoffs, the season after, they can't afford to pay their best players, their new and coming up and uprising stars. This means that the next chance for those teams to have a successful season might be years away. Again, Clevelanders know this well. But during the offseason between the 2001 and 2002 Major League Baseball season, Billy Bean met Peter Brand. He was a young player scout for the Cleveland Indians. And Peter Brand had a radically different approach for assessing a baseball player's value. Brand went beyond the eye test and normal statistics and used what's known as sabermetrics. These are advanced statistics that no one really looked at. For example, he really valued on-base percentage, how often a batter gets on base and just has a chance to score a run. Billy Bean bought into this system of evaluating a player's value. And he bought, it in, bought into it to the point when all of the rest of his scouts from the Oakland Athletics thought he was crazy. They thought he was destroying the team. Now, we wouldn't know this story that's known now as Moneyball unless it worked. Even with their depleted rosters, the A's, the next season, they made the playoffs again. Now, while they lost, again, heartbreaking, while they lost, the Oakland A's changed the game. They changed why teams select the players that they do. And now, ironically, the one professional sport that doesn't limit how much teams can spend on their salary, that one professional sport, which should give advantage to the richest teams, actually has the most even playing field out of all the professional sports. Because Billy Bean changed how we evaluate players. The end of the story is kind of a sad one, too. The Red Sox, a team with a lot of money, offered to make Billy Bean the highest-paid general manager in the game, and he turned it down. And two years later, the Red Sox won the World Series with Billy Bean's strategy. The church in the ancient city of Corinth, to which Paul writes, is a lot like the 2002 Oakland Athletics. Not in every way, but in the way that it was full of people who were not valuable in the eyes of the world, but who were still valuable nonetheless. 
As the Apostle Paul wrote to them, he didn't deny their lack of value in the world's eyes. He instead reorients their values. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. You can find it printed in your bulletin, or you can turn there in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 to 31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is God's word. Last week, we saw how the Corinthians wanted a message that was eloquent and attractive. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, through which God saved them, is not an eloquent and attractive message. At the very centerpiece of this message is a crucified Messiah, which is foolish and offensive and irrational to all of the world. But that's part of the point, as the Apostle Paul tried to make, Because the gospel shows us that God doesn't need our wisdom or our power in order to save us. All the glory goes to God and God alone. And the same kind of works this week. We see this week how the Corinthians wanted to measure up in the eyes of the world. But they didn't. Again, Paul says that's part of the point. That they are a ragtag bunch shows that God didn't choose them because of how talented and gifted they were. God didn't look out of the world and look at the Corinthian Christians and say, oh man, I need these people in my kingdom. Because what impresses the world does not impress God. That those in the Corinthian church were really nobodies in the eyes of the world clearly displays That God saves us, not because of anything that's in us, but because of his grace and his grace alone. Here's the main idea or the main point of today's passage. Who we are on our own should remind us that if we want to get anywhere with God, it won't come from us. It has to come from him. If we want to get anywhere with God, it won't come from us. It has to come from him. Two big points for today, pretty simple. Don't boast in yourself, boast in the Lord. Don't boast in yourself, boast in the Lord. We start off in verse 26, and Paul's continuing to address the problem he began to address all the way back in verse 10. And verse 10 is really kind of the heading for all of the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians. In verse 10, Paul appeals to the Corinthians just to work their divisions out. Work it out. Unite around Christ and the gospel. This is what Paul's trying to get them to do. The Corinthians' mindset and their values were out of step with what they believed as Christians. And like we said in the very first study of of this letter, the gospel of grace upends what we value naturally. 
the gospel of grace upends the world's values. So the Corinthians valued and they aligned with the teachers who had the best presentation and eloquence. But like we already said, what matters most with the gospel is not eloquence. It's not an eloquent message. What matters most with the gospel is the content of this message. This non-eloquent, foolish, weak message is how God saved them. In these verses today, we see that the Corinthians sought after the world's approval. So they valued things like wisdom and power and nobility. But God doesn't care about those things. Verses 26 to 29 build to a culmination. Culmination in verse 29. The final result of Paul's presentation here is that no human being can boast in the presence of God. No matter how wise they are, no matter how noble they are, no matter how powerful or rich or talented that they are, no human being can boast in the presence of God. So we put the takeaway from these verses like this. Don't boast in yourself. I think Paul gives us two big reasons not to do this. Why shouldn't we boast in ourselves? First big reasons, the Corinthians shouldn't boast in themselves because they aren't impressive in themselves. They aren't impressive in themselves. Look at verse 26 again. Paul says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Now imagine if the Corinthians stopped reading just right there. They just took a breath. They knew the Apostle Paul. They knew what Paul was about. They kind of knew what this letter was meant to be. It's like, okay, Paul, geez, you don't lighten up a little bit. It's a little harsh, don't you think? We get it. We're not all that smart. You don't have to remind us of it. You don't have to rub our face in it. But the Corinthians needed to hear this. They did. You know this, and, and you know, but we have to think about this. Just because you don't have something doesn't mean that something can't have you. Just because you don't have something doesn't mean that something can't have you. What we obsess over reveals our insecurities. What we obsess over reveals what rules over us. You know this, I know this. You can be poor and obsess over money. Maybe kind of comical. You can be bald and obsess over your hair. The Corinthians didn't have wealth and status, but wealth and status had them. They took pride in whatever they could get even when it came in the form of riding the coattails of another who was wealthy and noble. So it made them feel like it. And that's where their society told them to find their worth and significance and value in wealth and status. In this city in particular, people would be susceptible to it. You might remember the background we spoke about the city of Corinth a couple weeks ago. This city originally resisted uh, the the rule from the Roman Empire, but then a hundred years later, sometime before this letter, the Roman Empire conquered and colonized this city. So this means that this created a place filled with people of lower status, 
but who now had some rich and wealthy people and now had the values of Roman society, such as money and power. We can even get a hint a little bit of how this worked in Corinth. Just notice what Paul says in verse 26. He says, not many of them were of noble birth. That's interesting, isn't it? It it tells us that you couldn't really work your way up in this society. There was not much upward mobility. You had to be born into a high status to wield wealth and power. And yet still, people did whatever they could to increase their social standing, and they went down a never-ending pursuit to gain other people's approval. So we could say here about the Corinthians that measuring up to worldly standards is what controlled them. And guys, no matter how much we deny that, we're the same way. People have always been this way. You know the categories that Paul quotes here in verse 26? They allude to Jeremiah 9, written hundreds of years before. Paul will quote Jeremiah 9 directly in verse 31. But God told his people through Jeremiah, saying, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. This is just how we are. This is the natural inclination of our hearts, whether in Paul's day or Jeremiah's day or our day. We want acceptance and approval. We want to achieve that. Acceptance and approval granted by some group or person outside of us and defined by worldly standards. Now, this comes in all different shapes and sizes, but we can even see it in the small patterns of our lives. I don't know about you, but I can. I just wonder, why do I stop singing in the car when I pull up at a red light and someone's right next to me? Why do I, the seldom times I post on social media, why do I constantly check it to see how people responded? Why do I wear the certain clothes that I wear throughout my life? What am I even subconsciously trying to identify with in the clothes that I wear? It's to this mindset, this bent of our hearts, seeking approval outside of ourselves defined by worldly standards. It's to this that Paul says, consider your calling. Basically, remember who you were when God saved you. Now, like a lot of the other letters in the New Testament, the Corinthians probably didn't have individual copies of this letter. Probably just have one main copy, and it was read to the entire church. So we can hear, maybe picture them hearing this part of Paul's letter, sitting in the room together, and it's like Paul was saying, in effect, guys, look around you. Look who's here. Look who's here. Do you think God was some kind of Ivy League academics admissions officer, that he received millions of applications, but only the best and brightest and most impressive of the the world got in? Do you think that's how it worked? Look around. If that's how God operated, then how in the world did you get in? (laughs) Don't boast in yourselves. Paul says to them, you want to be impressive in the eyes of the world, but be realistic. You aren't. And again, 
That's the point. We were never meant to boast in ourselves anyway. The Corinthians should have an easier time seeing this. So Paul continues, don't boast in yourselves. Big reason one, because you're not impressive in yourselves. Big reason two, because God doesn't choose people based on how impressive they are. God does not choose people based on how impressive they are. Again, the Corinthians, out of all people, should have known this and praised God for it. Look at verses 27 to 28 again. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. You see, if Christians were mainly those who were the best of the best, who were the wisest, the most powerful and most noble of the world, if they were mainly the somebodies, then people could say, that these are the attributes that get us somewhere with God. They could say that if you want a place with God, then there's a certain criteria that you need to meet. But instead, God deliberately chose those who don't meet the world's criteria to show that these people did not earn or achieve their status with him. That was God's plan. Now you see that word chose. That word chose is repeated three times in a matter of two verses, back to back to back. We don't have time to explain all of this, but just as worth a passing comment. From our perspective, we become Christians when we choose to call on the name of the Lord, just like Paul said back in chapter 1, verse 2. But from heaven's perspective, we choose God only because God first chose us. Jesus emphasized both of these truths in his teaching. You could see it in places very close together in chapters like John chapter 6 or a chapter like Matthew 11. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now, here is his call to, for us to choose him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, Paul's point here in this part of this letter is that God did not choose these Christians because of how impressive or how special they were. That's a point that's emphasized throughout the scriptures. We read a passage from Deuteronomy that emphasized that. We read a passage from Titus that emphasized that. We can also see this in a verse like 2 Timothy 1 verse 9, where it says, God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of works, but because of his own purpose and grace. God did not choose them because they were impressive. In fact, it was the opposite. God chose them, these Christians in Corinth, because they would prove that they are who they are only because of God's grace. That should be true for every Christian. That should be every Christian's testimony. It was Paul's testimony. We're going to read it even later on in this letter in 1 Corinthians. Paul's going to write, by the grace of God, I am who I am. And Paul, we see notice here in verses 27 and 28 that God's choice shames the wise and shames 
the powerful of the world. It brings to nothing the things that are. It's a very, seems like a very vague way to put it. It's kind of hard to understand. There's just one word that's translated into bring to nothing in verse 28. And that word carries the sense of render ineffective. So we might put it like this. All the things that people thought would get them somewhere in life or even would get them somewhere with God, all of those things that they thought were effective to do that, all of those things will prove one day, not that they got them somewhere, but it got them nowhere. Not that they were effective, but that they were ineffective. See, if that was not the case, then those people, the richest, the wisest, the most powerful, could stand before God and say, look what I did. So to a people who sought after the world's approval based on wisdom or wealth or status, Paul said, don't boast in yourselves. Why? Well, guys, you're not impressive in yourselves anyway. And God doesn't choose people based on how impressive they are. No matter how impressive you are, that doesn't get you anywhere with God. In fact, no one will be able to boast in the sight of God. That's the ending point here. And think about it, friends. How could we? How could any of us boast in the sight of one, in the face of one, whose face we previously spat upon? How could we boast? So can you see just where Paul lands in verse 29, that they shouldn't boast in themselves because no one will be able to boast in God, before God? Can you see where he lands? It just it levels the playing field of all people. It levels the playing field. So maybe on the one hand, you got people who are like the Corinthians, who want to measure up to the world, but who don't, just plainly don't. And this is all of us at some point of our lives, isn't it? Who we want to measure up, but we don't. We just feel that. Some of you knew me throughout my childhood, which is crazy and strange. When I was in grade school and even the beginning part of my teenage years, I, I, was, I was really insecure about my weight. About my weight. I was really insecure about that. I did not like what I saw in the mirror. I, and so I thought the solution was to lose weight. So I worked really hard. I lost a lot of weight. But the insecurity never went away. Even when I surpassed my goal, I never had a lasting feeling of being okay. As far as image goes, it's something I still deal with today. So am I saying that you should never get healthier or improve in some way? Of course not. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm saying that if you work to find your worth in yourself defined by some worldly standard, I'm saying that you will never grasp it. It will always elude you. You might have it for a second, but you, it will escape you. And you will look back on life and, and see that your life has been empty. Disappointment and regret. You may have people like the Corinthians who want to measure up to the world but plainly don't. On the other hand, there are people who are like those the Corinthians wanted to be. Now, we might not be the impressive or the elite of the world, but be honest, all of us have something about ourselves that reassures us about ourselves, don't we? I wonder what that is for you. 
We've used this image before, but I wonder if God was some kind of hiring manager, what would you write on your resume that you would submit to him? Would it be how buttoned-down, straight-laced conservative you are? Would it be how open and respectful and never judging you are? No matter what it is, be it a trait or an action, friend, it would be something that is about you. And usually, that something about you is according to worldly standards and in comparison to other people. Listen, God is not impressed that you sin differently than the people around you. God is not impressed that you have a degree. God is not impressed that you wield some kind of influence. God is not impressed that you grew up attending church. God is not impressed that you never killed anybody. God is not impressed that you're a pretty good person. So whether you feel like the unimpressive Corinthians or the impressive people that they wanted to be like, we attempt to find worth in ourselves. We go on self-salvation projects. We make it about us. Whether we want to meet worldly standards but can't, or want to meet worldly standards but feel like we sort of do, Paul makes it clear that this is not how we curry favor with the king of the universe. So yeah, before the world's eyes, there may be heroes and zeros. But before God, the word is clear. No human being will boast. All have sinned and fallen short. So, don't boast in yourself. Where do we go from here? Should we tell ourselves, I am enough, just as I am. I am enough. Friend, that's another self-salvation project. We already know that won't work. Because of the nagging sense that we are not enough, and that God operates on different standards than the world. Where do we go from here? We don't boast in ourselves. Instead, we boast in the Lord. Look with me again at verses 30 and 31. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Over and against the Corinthians clamoring after the world's esteem and status stands the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross should remind them that they did not get any, anywhere with God because of themselves. God did not look at their wisdom and power and nobility and say, you guys are in. God, they did not have any of that stuff to begin with. And they, of all people, should have recognized they got somewhere with God, not because of themselves, but because of Christ and Christ alone. The only resume that satisfies God's standards is Christ's resume. He is the wisdom we need, not the world's. And you see in verse 30 that God didn't choose the weak and the poor and the low of the world and give them an extreme home makeover and make them the strong and rich and influential of the world. He doesn't make them the brilliant orators that they, want, that they loved or that they wanted to be. He has greater purposes and greater wisdom than that. 
He takes the weak and poor and low of the world and he makes them righteous, sanctified, and redeemed. Righteousness signifies a right standing before God, of being approved, not condemned. This is a legal term. Sanctified is the same word from verse 2 of this same chapter. It signifies that they are clean and pure before God. Redemption signifies liberation or freedom. That is freedom from the slavery to sin and death. Where do these come from? How were the Corinthian Christians, this ragtag bunch, righteous, sanctified, and redeemed? I know. It's because of how special and unique they were. No. We've been making that point, stressing that point over and over again. It's not because of anything in them. They were righteous, sanctified, and redeemed because they were in Christ Jesus, united to Jesus by faith. So this means that when we stand in the presence of God, we do not say, look what I have done. Rather, look what Christ has done in my place. Look at at Jesus' perfect, sinless life that I didn't live. Look at the death of Jesus, him paying the debt that I owed but could never pay. Look at him rising again from the dead, giving me life that I couldn't give to myself. Don't look at what I've done. Look at what Christ has done in my place. And to give them another reason why they should boast only in the Lord and not in themselves, it's because they didn't realize this on their own. They didn't realize all of this Jesus stuff on their own. God had to choose them. God had to open their eyes to believe. This works for Paul. In a very dramatic way, Jesus intervened in his life and opened his eyes. It's worked for Paul. On the other side of becoming a Christian, Paul understood how just because of his past of terrorizing Christians, it showed him that God didn't save him because of how great Paul was, but because of how gracious God is. But Paul didn't recognize this always. Before becoming a Christian, Paul was like everybody else. The same inclination that is in each one of our hearts to build our lives and our worth on our own resume, to go on our self-salvation projects. And listen, the Apostle Paul has a better resume than you or me. Listen to him talk in Philippians 3. He writes there, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul realized that all of that got him nowhere with the Lord that just like everybody else, he has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That if God was to accept him, it couldn't be because of a righteousness of his own. It had to be because of the righteousness from Christ. And God opened Paul's eyes to see that he is found not in himself, but in Jesus. 
God opened the eyes also of the Countess of Huntingdon to realize this same truth. Reflecting on this very passage, the Countess of Huntington said that she was saved by the letter M. M. Notice, it's not that God did not choose any of noble birth, rather not many of noble birth. So like the Apostle Paul or the Countess of Huntington, God opened the eyes of other influential figures in the Corinthian community. Paul writes about those like Crispus and Gaius and Philemon and Erastus. Open all of their eyes to see that their wisdom, their power, their influence, their insight, all of that does not justify them in God's sight. Only Jesus does. So again, whether we are like the common Christians in Corinth who want the eloquence and flash of the world but don't have it, or we are those who have some measure of that eloquence and flash, the point is to stop obsessing over yourself and start obsessing over Christ. The world will give us different messages all the time. The world at times will tell us that we are enough. The world at other times will tell us that we will never be enough. All the time, the world tells us it is about you. But Jesus says something different. The cross of Christ tells us where we do stand before God on our own. And trusting in Jesus and his cross, now Jesus tells us, you are not in yourself. You are in me. You are mine. The life we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God, not by faith in ourselves. So in closing, what would a church filled with people who do not boast of themselves but boast in the Lord look like? What should the Corinthian church have looked like? There's a lot we could say. We could say that a church that doesn't boast in themselves but in the Lord reaches out to the community around them and to the world at large, it reaches out impartially. Listen, we do not require people to meet a certain standard or criteria in order for us to reach out to them. Because if God did that for us, he never would have saved us in the first place. We recognize that everybody needs God's grace. So a church that does not boast of themselves but in the Lord is a church that prays that through their gospel outreach and proclamation, that God would save those who the world doesn't want. This is a church that doesn't boast in themselves, but boasts in the Lord, who does not assume that those in the world who appear to have it all together must mean that they are just fine without Jesus. No. We are convinced No human being can boast in the presence of God. Therefore, everyone, the bad and the so-called good, must be reconciled to God only through the cross of Jesus Christ. A church that does not boast in themselves but in the Lord not only has an impartial outreach but has an impartial community. This is what the Corinthians should have been. This is a people who do not value just the young and beautiful and articulate Christians. They also value the awkward and the older Christians. 
because they know all who trust in Christ are equally righteous, sanctified, and redeemed, just like this passage says. This would be a church full of people who would no longer obsess over themselves so that now they can laugh easily because they don't take themselves too seriously so that now they can forgive freely, can overlook an offense because they know how much they've been forgiven, who can now focus on others because they don't obsess over themselves. They're secure. And they can do all of this. They can stop obsessing over themselves because they have started to treasure Jesus instead. They know they are who they are, not because of themselves, but because of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, no list of sins we have not done, no list of virtues we've pursued, no list of those we are not like could ever earn ourselves a place with you. Our righteousness is Jesus' life, not our life. Our debt was paid by Jesus' death. Not anything, not any payment or work from us. Lord, help us to find ourselves in Jesus, to treasure him and him alone. We pray perhaps, Lord, that those here who have not done this yet would today and would make that faith known and we pray that those who have already, you would renew and revive and strengthen and give them joy in you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.